everybody. Welcome to a bonus episode of the Use Guys in That podcast. Uh, we have most of the, uh, the group together. We are missing Brian because I think he is lost in the woods once again. Um, we'll wait for him to come back at some point in time. We are very, very fortunate to have an awesome guest with us today. Uh, we, uh, Christopher and I, uh, had the pleasure of meeting her on another podcast, uh, Jesse Bennett. Uh, she, uh, she was on with uh, myself and Anarchy Ball and somebody else. And actually, you know what? I remember who they are now, and I'm not going to mention it because we all had the same reaction to some of the shit that was said <laughs> on that show. So, um, I, dude, does anybody know what happened to Anarchy Ball? Like, I found him for a minute, and then he disappeared again. He hasn't updated his podcast. Like, nothing. I don't know what happened to the ball. The ball is gone. Oh, wow. That's a little scary. Yeah, I'm not in the context. Yeah, no kidding. Like even his Instagram account is gone. The one where he was making like Boog shirts, the the uh, the Ancap Boog. um, What is it? The Hawaiian shirt. They were like black and gold. He had his wife making the shirts. That page is gone. So I don't know if anybody has found the ball. Let us know, because we are worried about the ball. So um, we had we had a great conversation, but uh, Jesse, thank you for coming on. If you wouldn't mind, uh, we I take this page right out of Pete Quinone's book, since it's your first time on our show. If you wouldn't mind <laughs> introducing yourself to our audience, you know, like how you got into the liberty movement and all that sort of thing. Yeah, sure thing. I can do that. Well, hi, guys. My name is Jesse Bennett. You might follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jesse Nicole B. Um, I'm I think most of you probably know me as a Twitter personality. I don't really know exactly what to call that title. Um, sort of accidentally fell into that. But I'm also a production associate and audio producer over at Emergent Order. You guys may be familiar with their economics rap battles. Uh, As far as my introduction to the movement, I've spoken about this on other podcasts. I declared myself an anarchist as a child, and it just sort of spiraled from there. Um, It sounds like a joke, but my poor mother can attest. Uh, I did some Young Americans for Liberty stuff in college, and then at some point ended up tweeting about it. So here we are. That's fantastic. Um, what, what do you think? Uh, I know you said you mentioned it when you were a child that you, you were an anarchist, which I think is wonderful because I think most <laughs> kids are anarchists when they're born. And it's the, the, the shitty software that we upload into, into children to get them to be conformist and bend the knee and all that other you know, crap that most mm-hmm. of us had to fight the programming to get rid of. Um, was there anything that you came across uh, during your journey any uh, works, any literature that you, that really resonated with you that you were like, oh, my gosh, this is completely eye opening. Oh, yeah. Anatomy of the state was like my was like my number one. Like, I guess you could call it red pill because I, t- I took AP economics in um, high school. And at some point in that, I just felt like these graphs and everything we were looking at weren't telling me the whole story because they don't they don't cover any theory in that class. I was like, no, I want to I want to know the why, like the greater why to all of this. I want to know the ha- like the philosophy. And um, at some point on my on my dive, I came across that book and it was just world changing. Uh, the other big work was Planned Chaos by Ludwig von Mises. That's a great one because I just love this concept of bottom up systems. And that one's great, too, because, um, th- you know, the company that I my now employer, Emergent Order, that's kind of what it all means. Right. So it's very full circle. Oh, that's excellent. You're you're like, I don't know, the the 100th person. That when I've asked, even whether it's regarding uh, being on the show 
or, you know, just in personal conversations, anatomy, like the anatomy of the state is in my bag that I take to work every day. Like it's never left my bag because I'm always waiting for the opportunity to shove it into somebody's hands who is asking the right questions. It's your version of Dianetics. It really is. You always have to be a Rothbard evangelist. Yeah. No, seriously, because it's it's perfect. Like we we had a Sal on. Sally Agoriston, uh, oh, he's the, great. the first time, like we keep, we keep asking him to come back on cause we enjoy talking to him. But I remember mm-hmm. asking him the same question and we all agree that anatomy of the state is definitely the best book as an introduction into, you know, our philosophy, you know, even, you know, not so much anarcho capitalism, but anarchism and also the villain that is the state. And it's a short read. So you, cause a lot of people like the Randians, for example, they'll be like, Oh, well, first you need to read the fountainhead. And then of course you have to read. No, well, you really don't. In fact, you can get 90% of what you need out of her from her essays in my humble opinion. I think you're right. Um, I, I really do think you're right. But you know, there's, there's people, it's almost, we, we go back and forth from like bouncing around to where, you get a little cultish with some of the movements that are out there. Like Randians are kind of cultish, but at the same time, there's some anarchists and I'm not going to mention who they are. Like we've picked on them a lot on this show. You know, the original ones who lean a little bit left, you know, to the left of Karl Marx in some cases, they're really not like, if they really are ANCOMs, like if they really are syndicalists, I don't have a problem with it. It's the LARPing and, you know, still voting for Joe Biden, even though you have a black flag in your profile. I don't understand that at all. Like, I mean, pick a team. But with that, yeah, I, I don't either. And like, even as somebody who's very anti gatekeeping in some ways, because I do think, like, mostly as far as cultural views do, because we seem to have this problem where if somebody doesn't agree with our cultural views, we just make this weird assumption that they want state intervention. Like I'm against that type of gatekeeping, but being a principled person is just gatekeeping by its own nature. So I think that to avoid all of it entirely is to just kind of drop the whole idea that we're this principled group, you know? That's a really good point. That That is a really good point. Uh, so let me ask you this. The last time that we had chatted, we had talked about what are some things that, that can be done to get more female involvement more women in the liberty movement and who better to ask now of course i have one of the strongest women in the liberty movement who is in charge of my show over there um who's in charge <laughs> I, just, of... I just press buttons that's all i do yeah sure that she's being nice ladies and gentlemen trust me she's, she's ice cold if i if we do the wrong thing we're all fucked so anyway... <laughs> that, that's not true <laughs> with that being the case i would like to know what what do you think can be done to get more women involved in the liberty movement is there anything that acts as obstacles for women to be getting more involved in the liberty movement yeah absolutely so i'm just gonna get the elephant in the room out of the way real quick um obviously yaltu just happened that is a huge problem for getting women in the movement uh i don't think that's something that needs to be dove into anymore people who need to read up on it just follow the hashtag yaltu on twitter for more information that's y-a-l-2 like me too Um, but obviously don't harass people. It's not great. Don't do it. Like it's that simple. But that aside, I I think that one of the bigger problems we have is in the, I think that a lot of the student groups and a lot of the groups targeted at younger libertarians tend to use very, very aggressive recruitment strategies. And I just have never really seen how that's effective. That is more effective on a certain personality type. I mean, it worked on me, but it's predominantly a male personality type. The branding is all very aggressive, all very masculine. And I mean, branding does have a great bearing on who you're going to be able to recruit. It's all subconscious, but I mean, Emergent Order did used to do a bit of branding, a bit of marketing, and I 
learned a lot from that. And I just look at, you know, these logos, these fonts, and there's like a lot of weird subconscious things that just scream to me masculine. So I think that there is a way to maybe feminize the movement and its outreach and that sort of thing and get more women that way, especially young ones. Uh, I think that that's a really good point. I also, like you said, the, the most important thing that I, that the first thing is what is what you said to me, that is an extremely important takeaway. I won't call it the most important, but it's, it's absolutely critical because I think that there are a lot of people that do get harassed in the movement. Like this whole, there's every time you see somebody post something and it's like, the, I don't know if they're being funny or if they're just being assholes or like, you know, show us your boobs. Like, well, that's not what she's talking about. She's actually yeah, trying like, to have a conversation <laughs> here. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's incredibly frustrating. And I mean, obviously the in-person stuff has, you know, different implications. But yeah, even online, that's that's very true. There's this sort of like objectification. And I think that a lot of that comes from just these culturally conservative reactionaries is kind of where I think a lot of that lies. I think that, you know, as progressives have you know, started with the pronoun stuff and all sorts of things that people on the cultural right don't necessarily understand, even if they don't believe in legislating very regressive views, they're still going to have this sort of response and overdo it as a result. So when the left says, hey, let's empower women, then the cultural right sometimes says, hey, we need to actively put women down and objectify them because I don't agree with what this socialist said. So it's, it's very frustrating. <laughs> That's an excellent point. They just want to be contrarian simply because their political enemies took a different position. Uh, th that's a really good point. Now, let me ask you this. Even as an anarcho-capitalist, um, do you uh, have any uh, opinion on the, I guess, you know, the founding mothers of anarchism, uh, specifically Lucy Parsons or Emma Goldman or Voltaire Declare, any of the uh, women who paved the way? Uh, long before it was ever even popular in any movement, we had we had some very strong women who were leading the way uh, before it was even cool or marketable. Do you have any opinion of those early anarchists? Because I know economically, we, we you know, any of us probably don't line up with them very well, except for maybe the fact that they wanted more, de you know, deregulation, allowing people to be more free but not necessarily on the, you know, the communal style of living or what have you. Uh, do you have any, do you have any yeah. tips on them? No, I, I'm so glad that you asked that question because, because I don't have an answer. So I, I, I've heard those names and this is proof that like, I'm guilty too. Everyone does this. I don't know anything about them besides that they were anarchists. And I think that I need to do better too. We all really could, could stand to learn from, you know, the fact that those aren't well-known names. I couldn't agree with you more. And if anybody wants to uh, check out, we did an episode, uh, Angel and I did a long time ago, in fact, almost a year ago, on a tribute to revolutionary women. We had to pick the top 10. And people like Kate Sharpley, for example, who lost her brother and her father and her fiance in the Great War. She was the one who received the medals for her for her loved ones. And she literally wow. threw them back in the face of the queen mother and says, if you like them so much, you can keep them. And they arrested. That's her. badass. Yeah. She was, she was hardcore. There's a famous library that's named after her over there. It's an anarchist library. You would obviously find literature that you would expect to like, for example, AK press that's more to the left. Uh, if, mm -hmm. if we're going to play the, the spectrum game, but you know, Emma Goldman, the same thing, the wonderful thing about, especially her that I'm hugely fond of is she went over to Russia and she wrote two books on it. 
and she said, you know, she they were hopeful that, oh, this is the start of some revolution that we're looking forward to. That's going to be this whole new dawn. And she comes back and says, this is absolutely not what we thought it was going to be. It shows that even at her who hardcore anarchist, even she was able to say, hey, listen, these these communist fuckers over here, they're killing anarchists. <laughs> they're killing everybody like this is bad news. You know what wow. I mean? And I, um, I have a, a, a real, real soft spot in my heart for her. And then Lucy Parsons, for example, if anybody isn't aware, she is the, uh, the wife of Albert Parsons, who is one of the, uh, the Haymarket martyrs, who was wrongfully accused of starting a riot over the end of police brutality and the eight-hour workday being established for workers in Chicago. She is the wife of Albert Parsons. She is the daughter, I believe, of um, a, um, a slave master, and of course, her mom being a slave, uh, she was uh, she was uh, um, a wow. race individual. She was one of the I believe one of the founding uh, uh, founding mothers, I guess you could say founders of the IWW. So there's a lot of incredibly powerful women that have been in this movement from the beginning. So I encourage people to check that out because there are heroes that already exist. We can always make more of them, but it's important to know that these people have been around for a long time. So, Hey, listen, man, nobody's perfect. I took me a long time to read all, read all the shit that I'm 40. So I've had plenty of time to read all the damn books and I still have a whole stack that I have to get to. So let me ask you this. You talked about Rothbard. You talk, I mean, we all agree that that is such an awesome red pill to get people to at least challenge their thinking uh, their programming. So did you just decide on anarcho-capitalism or did you go through the spectrum and say, hmm, let me see which one of these best fits me as an individual? Yeah, sure. So after reading Rothbard and just connecting with it so much, I just sort of had this moment where instead of going through the whole spectrum, I was like, you know what, I'm going to go with the complete opposite and see if anything clicks. So I read all, like a bunch of Karl Marx's work, including like the two big ones, Das Kapital, Communist Manifesto. Mm -hmm. And after just not being able to find a damn thing that made sense to me outside of Pro 2A, I was like, you know what? I don't think this is for me and just sort of got very comfortable. And I, I granted, that's probably the wrong way to do it. I probably should have read more things in the middle. But uh, yeah, from there, I just expanded my Liberty Library, as I like to call it, and uh, just never ended up really straying. It's funny, though, just a little side note. Uh, I, I ended up rereading some Marx when we went to do the Mises versus Marx rap battle because we needed to, you know, properly articulate both sides because we try to make them just as unbiased as possible. Sure. Um, it was Yeah, it was actually a lot more fun. And I feel like I took a lot more out of it with like the frame of like, I, this needs to become a rap. So, <laughs> <laughs> it almost gives you a greater understanding when you have some sort of goal like that. I think that reading Marx over again, I... I I'm a recovering Marxist. I was a Marxist in high school up until about 2001. I was a member of the Socialist Party USA. I didn't have the ball. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. I didn't have the balls to commit to the Communist Party because I felt that I would <laughs> truly be blacklisted. Like I was like mm -hmm. they, had, they had us all very scared. Um, but I was I'm a recovering Marxist. And I remember like I could even argue Carl's points now just from remembering my programming as a young man. But I think it's important for people to reread it. What's also funny is Karl Marx probably has a more uh, pro-gun position than most Republicans do. And I think yep. a lot of people don't realize that. Like we, we've been very critical of the, our, our left-wing uh, brothers and sisters. We have. And I have to take responsibility for that because they're not necessarily our enemy. Because you, you can have 
different communities who live by different uh, by their own different norms, for example. Um, it doesn't have to be, well, like, well, we're all anarchists, but we have to pick which anarchy is best. Yeah, but that's an individual choice. If you want to live in a commune and, and share everything and not have locks on your doors, I think that that's great. As long as you don't come and tell me that I have to live that way, I think you should have a ball. Enjoy yourself. But I think that Mark... Yeah, this is, this is where the Twitter hoppians become a little yes. bit of a problem. But, they yeah. do. Because, yeah, and you know what the thing is, is I like Hoppe's work. I really do. I just, yeah. you know, the tossing commies out of helicopters, like real commies, like if I could throw Joe Stalin out of a helicopter, yeah, you could sign me up for that. But ANCOMs, okay. I'm not exact. like, I'm gonna, again, not LARPers. And we have our own LARPers to deal with. We've talked to, we've talked to Jeremiah Harding about them. Who ma- people who masquerade as real libertarians, but voted for Donald Trump or uh, support, you know, you know, nationalism, for example. These are things that none of us really like it, it, these again, not trying to gatekeep, but nationalism and lowercase libertarianism or anarchism is just not something that's going to jive. I know that they exist, the national anarchists. I'm not sure I'd be able to, you know, have a chicken sandwich with them. I don't think that we'd be able to hang out. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry. I think it's ridiculous. <laughs> With that being the case, though, reading Marx is very important because a lot of times you think I think a lot of people in the movement are just like, well, Karl Marx is an asshole. He's an idiot. Oh, OK, he might have been an asshole. I'm pretty sure that he was. He had boils all over himself. You're going to be surly from the start if you have your body covered in boils. He was unemployed. He didn't have a lot going for him. And nobody took his book seriously until after he died. So he was kind <laughs> of pissed off in life. OK, but. Yeah. In order to be able to refute the arguments of your economic foes, it's important to know what those things are. And I don't think anybody can articulate them. Like for, you know, was it the labor, uh, the, 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 the materialist point of view, for example, nobody mm-hmm. can really do that. The, la- uh, the labor theory of value, nobody can really yep. articulate that. You know what I mean? And it's incredibly critical because if somebody hits you with that and you don't know how to respond or at least say, Hey, listen, I'm going to take your example. I'm going to apply it and, you know, put the scientific method to it and say, Hey, listen, this is how I can prove that it doesn't work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank goodness. Uh, Von Bomba work did it for us. too. <laughs> but, That's yeah. true. That's true. Yeah. Um, I, I can't. I recommend people reread all of those. I recommend people reread uh, Das Kapital, man. Those two volumes are really, really tough to get through. Like I got. They're rough. Yeah. It, it's a school. significant time cost. <laughs> yeah, no, really. It, it like the Communist Manifesto is the pamphlet version. It really is. Mm-hmm. But if you really want to get deep into theory and th- I've made this argument, too, with academics that in a way, Carl kind of won not necessarily in the uh, proletariat revolution, but at least in the language department, because we use his language. Like he established the goalpost that, you know, the use of the word capitalism, for example, he's Mm -hmm. the one who popularized it. You know, we wouldn't be using it if it wasn't for him. And that's, here's the question I want to ask you. Is the word capitalist salvageable? We've asked this of other guests before, but like, I like to call myself a free market anarchist. And I know that Christopher does as well. Do you feel that the word capitalism has been dragged through the mud so much that it's it, it's almost like we can't save this because it's associated with even things that it may not that it shouldn't have been associated with, let's say? Yeah, no, absolutely. So for me, it's not so much a question of whether or not it is salvageable, in my opinion, because of Marx's coining of it and because that's the lit- literature that our political enemies are using. I think it's almost that it has to be salvaged. 
Because I do think that on some level, whether or not what people refer to as capitalism is correct, when they see a free market, they'll still look for evils and things in it and label it capitalism. Like, I, I think that it's a word that's just too ingrained into both sides of the argument and into discourse that I don't think we really have an option at this point to not salvage it. Um, I do call myself a market anarchist as well if I'm like having a conversation with somebody that I know is going to shy away from the word itself, capitalism. Right. Um, we even, we did a branding campaign recently for Washington policy called free markets destroy. Free markets destroy poverty. Free markets destroy, you know, all of these bad things. Like it's great. Mm -hmm. We called it free markets for a reason, but I think that in some circles you do still need to hold on to the word. So I think it's more a matter of rebranding the word in a more positive light. So what the proper way to do that is, is really just gonna be on a situation by situation basis. It's about knowing your audience. It's about knowing the, or even if it's an audience of one, if you're just having a conversation with somebody, know which one to use. But I don't think we have the option to get rid of the word at this point. I, I agree with your strategy, by the way. I think that that's excellent. You have to, you have to be able to read who you're talking to and know when, because I mean, you know, Christopher and I talked about this, like we've taken those, um, those political uh, quadrant tests. What are they called, Chris? Uh, the, uh, the Nolan chart? No, the other one. What is it, Christopher, that we took the, the um, political um, compass test? That's what it was. Yeah, yeah, Shit. yeah. And both of us ended up with like we were either agorists or we were an ancaps. And mm -hmm. like I don't like the problem is like I don't I don't have a problem with using the word capitalist because I understand what it's supposed to mean. Uh, but when you're dealing with like you said, you have to be able to read who you're talking to, because if I'm talking to somebody you know, who's a bourgeois progressive leftist that's from the suburbs who got everything from Vox and from a public school teacher. And I'm going to say capitalist that's automatically a going to shut their ears. They're not going to listen to me anymore. And then B, they're going to start regurgitating all of the trash that they've been, you know, in, in, all the I, shit they've been spoon fed. Yeah, really. I mean, that, like, I, I think I think like with like a lot of people too, like people don't understand what like like what pure capitalism could be because i think everybody understands it as capitalism as in how it relates to the state yes and mm -hmm. i think a lot of a lot of criticisms of capitalism itself are actually problems with the state and the state's involvement and not necessarily problems with capitalism but but people conflate the two so yeah i'm so glad you said that because there's this uh term i've been using on twitter that like i would love to coin um, it's exactly what you're talking about. So people are always using this term late stage capitalism. I've been trying to get people to say late stage mixed economy so that people can <laughs> finally start to realize. <laughs> but that's great. No, that's really good. Yeah. Late stage mixed economy. That's <laughs> it really is. That's true. That's true. I remember uh, Rand when she was being interviewed by Donahue because Michael Malice thought, you know, convinced us all to watch it, at least convinced me to watch it. And, um, you know, she, you know, said that she wanted to destroy, you know, our uh, our regulated uh, capitalist system. You literally gave it away. It's heavily regulated and in favor of people like, for example, like I, I you're from you're down in Texas, correct? Yes, I am. OK, well, here in the state of Ohio, uh, we there, I'm from Ohio. Oh, you are? Yeah. No shit. Small mm. world. <laughs> That's yeah, great. That's great. <laughs> it is. So I don't know if you remember this or not. Um, but there were two initiatives. The first one failed and the second one passed. It was for casino gambling. Now, I like to gamble. I like sports book. That's I like to gamble on sports. I don't gamble heavily. Um, I've tried to 
turned many things into this show into gambles that have failed miserably. <laughs> and and I have to be careful. Like we have to establish a Deadpool for Joe Biden. And, you know, I, I have to make sure that other bets are finished before they get started. Otherwise, the boss will get mad at me. That's because there's too many and we didn't clear them off the board. And then it's like the next thing you know, like I'm like, you know, one hundred and fifty dollars in. And I'm like, wait, what if I lose all of this? Like I'm losing all of this money. I can't keep track. Double or nothing. <laughs> Double or nothing. That's right. So we had two casino gambling uh, initiatives come through here. Now, mind you, obviously, you already know our position. There should be no initiative because there should be no vote. If you want to open a casino, open a casino. If you don't believe in gambling, keep your ass out of the gambling house. It's really that simple. But mm -hmm. it failed the first time and then it passed the second time. However, like, for example, if the used guys podcast wanted to get into the gambling scene, so we're going to open up the used guys casino. We're not allowed to do that by law by law because only a certain cartel is able to own and operate casinos in the state of ohio that's not a capitalistic system a free market system at all in fact it's the antithesis of that and that's i've used that as a gateway a little bit with people to try to explain to them how the state manipulates the market in favor of those who are going to you know, like the politicians who get their pockets filled by these people like we can't operate a gambling house even though it's legal to gamble now, finally, even though people have been gambling since time immemorial, regardless of law. But I'm talking about on the white side of the economy, there, we, we, we couldn't open one. We would still be operating as an illegal function if we wanted to have a slot machine house and blackjack tables because we're not part of the cartel. The problem is that people look at the cartel system because in a way that's the way I look at it because you have certain cartels that are given favorable positions by the state that they get bailed out. Like, you know, this whole bullshit pandemic that we just went through, the big mm -hmm. box stores are not the ones that suffer. They get all the money that they ever could, you know, they, anytime they need it, it's there. It's your taxpayer money. However, the mom and pop stores, they're the ones who suffer because they can, they don't have the same, uh, I guess, privileges granted to them that the state grants these major corporations or like the auto industry, for example, that got bailed out and they made a commercial about it that I almost threw the remote through the television. I was so angry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanking us, thanking, thanking the American people for keeping them, you know, above water, even though in a, and I hate to say it, Bernie Sanders was the only one who was speaking the truth because he was like, no, you gotta let them fail because, you know, they, they, they can't accept taxpayer money because they failed. It's a <laughs> business. You know, he was, Bernie was right. They shouldn't, they yeah. shouldn't have been bailed out because, then somebody else who runs a better business is going to come through and say, hey, listen, we're going to do a better job. Re uh, with that being the case, there has to be a way that we as free market anarchists, or if you're an anarcho-capitalist, you identify as an anarcho-capitalist, to be able to show the differentiation between state you know, corporatism, because that's what it is. Uh, and an actual free market. For me, I always use the casinos. That's that's a great example. Uh, so let me ask you this. In your time uh, as being an anarchist to now, I mean, your answer can change if we if we talk to you again in 10 years or, or, or five months or whatever. What do you think is the greatest enemy to the movement i've asked this of other guests and i've gotten we've gotten a wide variety of answers i'd like to get your take on it what do you think is the greatest enemy to the liberty movement yeah absolutely so it's uh 
I'm going to use a word that Joe Biden has made me hate. I think, though, that the biggest problem is a lack of unity among the liberty movement. Mm. I think, well, we're such individualists that we're not able to for, like, forego that on occasion to instead like have pragmatism in mind and get anything done. I really think it's about a lack of unity. So it's like somebody will say, hey, if we all, you know, I hate to use Twitter as an example, but it's a good one. If everyone, if someone said, hey, let's all use this hashtag to make a statement. Let's all use this hashtag and get it to trend. Because of just the very nature of the principles, half of the replies to that are gonna be, don't tell me what to do. I'm not doing that. I found a grammar <laughs> error in your hashtag. It's like, come on. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I agree with Jesse wholeheartedly on this the, one because the autism comes out. Well, yeah, and then like we all are, you know, individuals, and we're looking at this, and we're like, I don't agree with this. Don't tell me what to do. I think that's kind of stupid. I'm not going to do that. Why would you do that? That whole principle is dumb, you know. And then they like they kind of have an argument with themselves about what's on Twitter and the hashtag, and they kind of forget that oh, we're supposed to be working together. You know, they kind of like read into it a little bit more, I think. And I agree. I I agree. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, it's like people don't realize that the very fact that they have the option to not use it means it's not the state. <laughs> right. right. I, yeah, there's just a disconnect there. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, and the fact of the matter is also that a lot of these people have egos. And if they didn't think of that fucking idea, then it's a shit idea. That's a lot of these people are out there who they're like, you could come up with a wonderful solution to the problem. But if they didn't think of it themselves and especially, let's say you as a woman, oh, now you're dealing with people who not only have an ego, but also, you know, don't don't exactly take kindly to someone taking the lead. That's not a male. They're out there, mm -hmm. unfortunately. And I think the more that we do that, the more we can at least expose these people for, you know, for them LARPing within the movement. Um, as far yeah, like you said, it's kind of hurt like hurting cats when it comes to anarchists and libertarians. And I agree, like the, the lack of unity is a huge problem for the movement. The other thing that I think is a huge problem, and we've talked about it on this show quite a bit, and I never get tired of talking about it because I feel it's it's critical that the importance is, is critical, is identifying like yes, unity is a huge problem. Like like the word panarchy, for example, not not saying, hey, listen, we have to pick one form of anarchism for all of us to agree to. Well, absolutely not. That negates the whole purpose here. We're supposed to pick what we feel is best for us as individuals and how we want to live our lives. That's fine. And I've been guilty about that in the past because we have we have absolutely arranged shit on an on our anarcho communism, for example, or um, you know, some of the original anarchist ideas. You know, they're no, they're not bad ideas, they just don't jive with us. And that's okay if they really are who they say they are, if they're not just communists LARPing as anarchists, because we've seen that too. They were Bolsheviks in mm -hmm. disguise. But also for us on this show, like the big red pill that like you, so for example, you talked about Rothbard's book being a major red pill. The red pill that I, that not only myself, but I know that Christopher and Angel that we like to try to give people to take is the, uh, the police. I think that that is a massive unifier, not only for people on the bottom right of the quadrant, but the bottom left of the quadrant, but also individuals that might be veering towards that middle of the quadrant area. And, and especially mm -hmm. on the left. Now, the, the authoritarian left or the liberals that are now in charge of the country, 
they totally pulled the rug out from underneath their voters by running on this idea that, oh, listen, we're going to at least reform, if not, you know, get rid of the police or find different solutions. They elected two cops, essentially, to, to be mm-hmm. their, their masters, which I think is I love it. I can't stop laughing at it. But <laughs> um, pure irony. It's, it's wonderful. Like, you know, BLM. What? What? Like they couldn't even get a sit down with the corpse. Like the corpse wouldn't even let them come to the White House and have a chat like, no, wow. thanks. Thanks for what you did. Appreciate it. We got in charge. Um, we're going to still send cops to beat the shit out of you. And tell you, <laughs> right. Thank you very and much. Take all your stuff. And, right. Uh, right. Exactly. Yeah. Like the like the, the idea that no major political party won't tackle qualified immunity for police officers is a testament to how that political class relies on it's law enforcement to make sure that the proles stay exactly where they belong, which is at the bottom, right underneath the boot. But I think a lot, I've gotten a lot of people to at least start to challenge the programming. Like when you walk down the street and I see, you know, the blue, the, the, the blue lives matter flag. I mean, I have to like, you know, you know, I get a verp, you know, a little vomit there and I choke <laughs> it back down, but it's been, a, I, it, it sucks to say this. And we've said that I know for our regular listeners, you're going to hear Jay talking about it again. God damn it. But we're going to do it. The 25, <laughs> 25 dogs per day on average are killed by police. Oh, God. You should be far more bothered by how many not only African-Americans are murdered by police and poor white people, but poor people mm-hmm. in general who are running away from the cops and get shot by the cops while they are running away. But people are more bothered when you tell them, hey, by the way, do you know that the that the Department of Justice is willing to admit that an average of 25 dogs per day are killed by police? Mm-hmm. That usually gets the reaction of no or really or, or oh, my God. You know, yes, I will take mm-hmm. any of those reactions. Because I believe, like Michael Malice has said, that the goal is to get the average person to look at a journalist like an executive for a tobacco company. Okay, our goal on this show is to get the average person to look at the police in the same light that they Mm -hmm. are there to serve a client. They are not here uh, for your health or your well-being, despite whatever cousin, sisters, brothers, former roommate that you might have. That's a great cop. That's like we're not talking about that. That's always been an avenue for me, at least, to make inroads with people to at least start to break the program. You know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. it's a difficult one to beat. And also to talk to people about how what is reported is one in four. Is it one in four or 40 percent of police officers um, are, uh, you know, the, 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 the spouses or significant others are have been abused at some point in time in the relationship? Thirty percent, if I remember correctly, thirty percent is huge. That is mm-hmm. a huge number, and I think if people start to look, because I understand, I'm I'm all for privatizing everything. I think that security should be uh, privatized, and mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the things that we run into with the cops, the money making machine that is the justice system. You know, the war on drugs is probably the keystone of that entire thing. Once we got rid of that, but the cops don't, or not, then the police union is never going to, they're never going to support that because that's how they make their money. Okay. With that being the case, do you agree that trying to get people to see the police, a law enforcement general, as being something that they should be concerned with, or at least as an introductory into, you know, lowercase l libertarian thought? 
Sure. So I, I think that it is a good entry point. And I think that a lot of the problem lies in the messaging. I, I think that, you know, so their slogan is all cops are bastards, right? Yeah. That's one of the ones they use. And so you look at that and it's like, okay, well, what is a cop? So I think it's a matter of bridging that disconnect that people seem to have between police and the state. It's like they have some sort of imaginary vision of a cop where they're doing this for their own sake rather than they, it's in the name, law enforcement, you know? Yeah. But for some reason, that gets foggy to most people. Um, for instance, I, I did go out and march with BLM at one point. Um, and it was really interesting to talk to people there and ask, you know, what change they wanted to see, what their goals were. It was a fascinating day and a sad one, of course. But uh, just talking to people and 90% of them were like, oh, well, we want the cops to stop killing us. I'm like, well, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But it's like you have to stop thinking, okay, why are they killing you? Why are they out at all? Why do they exist? And why do they not get fired? And I just, you have to break this disconnect with people that they seem to have. Uh, that's the big thing. I, and it's, it's predominantly people around my age, like older Gen Z, younger millennials get very attached to these slogans. And I think that when they want to fight against something, our generation is not particularly good at actually deciphering what the source of the problem is. In this case, the government. Right. <laughs> no, I think that that's really, uh, I think that's really astute of you. And I think that's an incredibly uh, smart thing, a smart way, a smart strategy rather to go about it. And I think that uh, it shows a lot of character that you went out and marched with people because we do support what they stand for. We absolutely do stand, well, stand with them. I mean, the, the idea that you can reform this, my favorite, my favorite thing is that you people, the nor I, I hate to and angel doesn't like this word no i don't because it's you're just doing the same thing that everybody's always done and right. you're you're putting a group of people right. into a category that they may not necessarily fit into right but let's say normies for example I'm, <laughs> that's, I hate that word she hates that word but i'm going to use it okay the average person the average citizen the average american right yeah normies <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> It wasn't me. It wasn't me, boss. I'm sorry. <laughs> but let's say the average person, you don't they don't put it together like you expect real fair justice to be, I guess, handed out by the same institution that like the prosecutors, the police and the judges are all part of the justice system. Yet you expect uh, fair results when they all get their paycheck from the same place. I think is the biggest load of flaming horse shit that I've ever heard. Mm -hmm. I can't ever get my head and people will look at you with the eye twitch. Like what would you, would you say? Well, what do you mean? Well, what do I mean is it's not in their best interest to do the right thing. Why would it be in their best interest? Their best interest is to get you through the court system, to get you lawyered up, to get you in jail because the you know the prisons you know they you know so many the governments uh, uh, colluded with companies that they get paid for how many bodies are in the bed. We just talked about it the other day. How we have what was the number of how many Amer Americans are in jail? Over two million. Over two million. Yeah, I think it was like was it like two point three million? Yeah, it's an appallingly yeah, large yeah, like a ridiculously number. ridiculously large number. It's unbelievable. And then, of course, we get into the next thing. What is that? Using the labor force that is in prison for the benefit of some of these people who, uh, you know, these companies who are in bed are colluding with the state. Once again, the state is the villain. They're the ones that have the state is creating these circumstances and profiting from it and their friends. It's almost like a, if you think about it, it's kind of like a feudalistic system, right? You have the king at the mm -hmm. top. 
and uh, the lords are the vassals, okay, the barons, the, the earls and all that shit. They pay homage to the king. And if they do so, they're given privileges. And then it trickles down to, you know, we the serfs at the bottom, you know, who are getting who are literally under the heel of the state on so many different levels. I, um, I, I just hope that people finally, you know, someday realize that, um, you know, the average cop is not your friend and uh, they kill 25 dogs a day on average and that's uh what the justice department is willing to admit to sorry guys you regular listeners every time i have a chance to talk about it i'm gonna do it until somebody says you know what jay i really appreciate it i had no fucking idea well now you do okay so um i'm done with, i'm done with the police uh, that that's it we talk about it at almost every fucking show but i really In case you can't tell like we really fucking hate the police like we're not fans like we're not fans oh. All of that, I would rather I would rather have the ANCOMs run a a a, uh, a community militia than have the police <laughs> or the fucking uh, highway patrol or, or any of those groups. Really, I really I, I mean that. Like I I would feel more comfortable with that than I do with the currency because it's all for profit. It's all for profit mm-hmm. on the backs of the people, and I think it's it's appalling that we allow this to continue. Um, is there anything anybody else would like to bring up, Christopher? Is there anything else you would like to talk about uh, before we uh, call it a day on this bonus episode? Uh, you have mentioned the, the uh, you have mentioned the prison industrial complex. I do have something to say about that, if you don't mind. Oh, yeah, go on. It all. Yeah, so we recently did a project um, for Alice Johnson's organization, Taking Action for Good Tag, in which we basically recorded interviews of people that were seeking pardons and shortened sentences, that sort of thing. Um, And the video did play in front of Trump and thankfully he pardoned some people. That being said, that experience of interviewing them was absolutely heartbreaking. It is absolutely insane what lengths the state goes to to keep people in jail. Some of the stories we heard were just like, their process through the court system was full of just so much regulatory burden and nonsense that like, the fact that we need lawyers with advanced degrees to understand how to keep you out of jail is, I think, very telling. Um, and so, yeah. yes, the cops are a huge part of the problem, extorting people and putting them in that position in the first place. But there needs to be a whole lot of deregulation. I'll say that much. Um, one of the main examples, this woman, basically her friend stole money from her and then started a welfare scheme, essentially, with that money. Her friend didn't get any of she didn't get any of her money back. And she ended up spending years and years and years in jail before getting pardoned. And it's just little things like that. People could unknowingly be committing so many crimes in a day. And I just think that, you know, immediate dereg is like needs to be first course of action to kind of starting to dismantle that. I I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm not surprised because there's was didn't somebody write a book called a felony a day or something like how the average American commits at least one felony, whether they know it or they don't know it. In fact, Neil Gorsuch had just talked about how everything had been criminalized, which is funny coming from the Supreme court uh, someplace. I would never expect to hear that, but it's true because no kidding. there are so many different things. Yeah. I'll find the article. I'm going to put in the show notes uh, where he made a comment about um, how everything is criminalized. And how it's because it's dealing with the Fourth Amendment. They want the argument like we posted it a couple of times. The argument now is that the it's before the Supreme Court that the cops want to be able to go into your house, regardless of the Fourth Amendment, which we all know is toilet paper. Like there's not there. This is all pomp and circumstance. If they smell weed, they can break down your door. I mean, it's been proven they can't they, they do. And there's no recourse. But 
they want to go into your homes to confiscate uh, to to get firearms, like in fi- like uh, for uh, red flag laws, or if they consider you a danger if you're mentally unstable without a warrant. Okay, and Gorsuch was the one he is making the argument, saying, "Well, this is actually kind of what the whole fucking point of the Fourth Amendment is that you can't do that. You can't just go into people's homes. I mean, they have been, but." I don't I'm not an incrementalist. I don't believe in a transition state to get to the next level, so to speak. But while we're living, while we're while we're at least watching from the stands how the game is being played, I think it's important to at least bring up that there is somebody actually questioning whether this should be done. Like why? Like we have these laws for a reason or at least protections, let's say. But I'm not surprised whatsoever that something is like that minuscule will throw you into a fucking hole for years and years and years. And you know Mm -hmm. what, man? Fair play to Trump, at least for getting some of those people pardoned. I mean, I anybody every time you can free somebody who shouldn't, you know, who shouldn't be there. And let's face it, most of them shouldn't be there. There's only Mm -hmm. a select few that should ever be incarcerated. And that's for things that we've talked about on the show before, like, you know, sexually assaulting someone. Uh, you know, raping children, shit like that, that we really like you are off the island. We don't nobody needs you here. But a lot of this, you know, when it comes to theft, for example, restitution can be made. Otherwise, there is a method of restitution somehow. But throwing somebody in a cage for X amount of years is definitely not going to reform them. It's been proven that there is no reforming somebody. But all they are going to have to do, what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to avoid being shanked or raped or get involved in some sort of drug smuggling operation that still happens in prison. I mean, there's terrible things like it is absolutely terrifying. So I think that's really awesome that you were able to hear uh, a story like that and at least be able to tell more people about it. It is incredibly important for this kind of work to be done. And we're going to put the uh, it's uh, taking action for good.org. We're going to put that in the show notes so that people are, you know, our listeners, anybody who's curious can get can uh, take a peek and see if they uh, if they can get involved or at least spread the word. So Mazel Tov on that. That's excellent work. Um, Thank you. I think that that's wonderful. But uh, yeah, the prison industrial complex, yet another thing that the state has created uh, that a free market could solve very quickly. Um, but, uh, Christopher, you were saying, uh, do you have anything else, uh, uh, my friend, before we wrap it up today? Nope. Okay. And, uh, you, Miss Angel, our boss. I do not, but I mean, I would just like to, you know, caution people to understand that sometimes, yeah, I know like people who are police, sometimes they get into it for, you know, the good reasons because they legitimately want to help people. But there's a lot of people who become police officers because they're obsessed with power and they use that position of power or authority to manipulate and abuse other people. And they do it um, because they're able to hide behind the uniform. And I just think it's important to remember, you know, that there are some good people, right? But the majority of them are also very terrible. So I don't know. You know That's what? All. No, you know what? Let's we could talk about that for just a second. That's fine. You think about this, though. We have examples from the Free Thought Project, which shout out to Matt Agarist for keeping that ship running. I'm incredibly grateful for the Free Thought Project, uh, where there are cops when they speak out on injustices, they are fucking fired. Right. Legitimately kicked out 
We don't want you here because you're a snitch. The cops love it when you snitch, when you tell on your on your fellow citizens or you act as a spy, almost like the Stasi. But I will say anytime these cops step up or what was it, female officers that have said certain like they've, they've talked about, you know, some of the injustices they've seen or some of the illegal activity. They will if they call for help, if they're in a literal in a legitimately dangerous situation, they're blacklisted from having help show up for them. So, oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's yeah. really, really like I'm I'm all jokes aside, like we are very serious about that. Like this is a problem. These this this institution is a problem and there is no reforming it. There's no voting your way into making it better or electing people that are going to fix the problem. There is no fixing this problem. It needs to it needs to go away. It needs to be thrown into the ash heap of history. And we need to start over with something that is completely uh, the antithesis of what we have right now. Awful, awful shit happens. Not to mention, Angel, wasn't it some some state had to pass a law making it illegal for you to rape somebody in the back of a fucking police yeah, car? Yeah, I can't remember the state off the top of my head, but yes, they had to make a law. Yeah. Yeah, you cannot sexually assault somebody you have arrested. It's now a law because apparently it was happening enough that somebody said something and they passed the law. So before that, it, ridiculous. It, it is beyond ridiculous. And again, my our, our core listeners, I'm sorry, but I get very upset. So I, I, we have to do something about this. And it's not it's not going to take place at the ballot box. I'm not saying it's taking place at the other box either. I don't advocate for that. I don't advocate for violence at all. But I believe completely uh, uh, getting rid of it and starting over with something that is market based, that is based on on something that we can be uh, can, can hold them accountable for. You know what I mean? Because right now, as it stands between the police unions and qualified immunity, good luck to you, because every time a settlement is paid out to individuals who have been wronged by the state, whenever they on the rare instances that they win in court, it's not the cops money. It's the taxpayers money. So either way, and the people who perpetrate these crimes against the, uh, the individual, they, they don't answer for them or the, the poor the, the, oh, Daniel Shaver, the, the man that was executed. I mean, he, that cop retired to the Mesa Police Department and collects a pension uh, and uh, is getting uh, compensated for having PTSD for for executing a, a human being, you know, I, in, in a hallway, in a hotel. This is beyond fixing. So we need we need to look at market solutions or community solutions. I'm up for anything other than what we have right now, because it's an unmitigated disaster. So. Uh, Angel, you got me all worked up again. I'm sorry. I just, you know, I think it's important to, it. to point out that, like, you know, <laughs> there are some people that do join, you know, the police and the fire department and things like that because they legitimately do want to help people, right? Like, they care about, you know, people in their community and things like that. And, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, I, I, I want to help people. But those people, I think, are few and far between. I and, agree. You know. It's important to remember that. Well, and then how long do those people last before the system chews them up and turns them into bad people? Right. It's a great point. You know, like that's, that's the other thing you have to think about too. Because like, I get what you're saying that there are like statistically there would have to be people that join with good intentions. Fair. I mean, you know, when you think about it, like I'm sure, I mean, and I'm sure that there are, but it's like how long until the system as it's designed before it chews them up and spits them out and they either wise up and walk away and quit and i and i've i've known several people in my personal life who have you know who are former cops that used to be cops and they said fuck this shit and they walked away from it 
or or until you give in you know like do you live long enough to see yourself become the villain yeah yeah that's a that's that you know isn't that something and let's not forget too the song doesn't go fuck the fireman okay right. <laughs> just saying but i'm always reminded of uh what's his face from the sopranos the the character um who was homosexual and he said, like, back where I come from, you join the fire department so you can steal shit out of people's houses. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Well, he was from New Jersey, which uh, yeah. all due respect to uh, the listeners we have in New Jersey. I am. I was born in Jersey City and I haven't been back since I was born and then I left. OK, well, my, my parents <laughs> left. But you know what I mean? Like, no, you can get the fuck out of there at any point in time and your ridiculous property taxes and the fucking stupid gun laws that they have out there where, you know, you can't have more than four before four rounds and a gun, I'm sure you know what i mean pretty soon they're gonna ban crossbows for shit you know what i mean <laughs> uh, it's, it, it's just so ridiculous but um i um i really appreciate you jesse one more time if you wouldn't mind going through your your social your social media stuff so that uh our listeners can find you please yeah no problem so the main place to keep up with me is on twitter so my handle is at jesse nicole b that's at j-e-s-s-i nicole in the letter b uh or you can just look me up my name is jesse bennett um, if you want to follow on the stuff that my employer emergent order is doing. So I'm just here representing myself, obviously, but mm -hmm. if you were interested in any of the stuff I talked about, you can check them out at youtube.com slash emergent order or at emergent order.com. Outstanding. Yes. You said you were going to plug tag in the bio. That's great. Um, cause we, Absolutely. we did that video with them and you know, I don't work for them or anything, but they definitely need more attention. So that's fantastic. Yep. Thanks for doing that. Oh, sure. It's our pleasure to do that. So, um, thank you very much for that. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, info at useguyspod.com, useguys in that gmail.com, useguyspod.com is our website where you can find a tremendous blog that I actually did update not too long ago. You're very welcome. Uh, you can also find us, uh, Podbean is where we have is the flagship for our podcast. We're across all podcatchers. And of course, what else am I forgetting? We have a Patreon for two bucks a month. You can actually get more content. We've got uh, quite a few hours of B-side material on there. If you want to support us on there, it's only two bucks a month. Uh, come and check it out. And um, what else do we have, Angel? What else am I forgetting? Our YouTube channel. We got a YouTube channel. We got YouTube bit shoot. Yeah, we got that. Uh, looking at looking into starting up Odyssey. Yes, we're looking into uh, starting up uh, starting up Odyssey. We actually were banned, not not banned. Excuse me. We had a thumbnail for the Gulag episode that we just did that was removed by YouTube, and I had to appeal it, and they they actually gave it back to us and apologized oh. to me. So yeah, even though even though I have a very negative opinion of how we'll tell them to give us our fucking episode with Aaron back too, that would be nice. <laughs> would be nice. I wish we could. Um, yeah, get at us. Uh, Use guys pod is our handle across Instagram, Twitter and facebook feel free to message us uh let us know what you think and please give jesse a follow uh she she does great posting on twitter but as you can obviously see she um she's very active in in very important circles uh we really appreciate you coming on please continue to do the good work that you're doing and feel free to come back and hang out with us whenever you like well thanks i appreciate all of that Awesome. Okay, guys, that's it for this uh, bonus episode. We will be back on Thursday. California Brian is going to be on to talk about solar options for you guys down in the southern portion of the country who are suffering with the shit weather that we always have to endure up here in the north. He's going to talk to us about that. And then we have a super duper guest. It's going to be a week from, uh, from tomorrow. I'm not going to tell you who it is. You're going to have to fucking tune in and find out. So from Jesse, the boss, Angel, Myself and Chris G, thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Peace. Bye.